Welcome to the Filmlinks Podcast. A bi-weekly podcast where we analyze all that goes into effective filmmaking. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Alex. And this is episode 109, Silver Screen Sports, No I in Team. Yes, we are talking about sports movies today. The first um, of several episodes. Yeah, they often end up kind of feeling like they're in their own special category. Yeah. Um, almost yet, like a little bit so away from the rest. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of ground to cover, um, and I'm sure we'll we'll get we're going to try to cover a lot of bases. No pun intended, although maybe a little. <laughs> but we're going to start nice. off today with uh, some of the more team oriented sports or stories about people coming having to work together to accomplish a goal. Often mm-hmm. in the uh, the tale of uh, team sport or whatever the heck field of dreams is which we'll get to yeah Uh, but specifically today the first movie we're going to talk about is field of dreams from 1989 directed by uh, phil alden robinson um, and is based on the novel shoeless joe by wp kinsella which is 100 percent from the 60s um nominated uh for best picture best adapted screenplay and best original score at the oscars also fun fact jonathan uh, the DP on Field of Dreams, John Lindley, I have worked with before. Oh, nice. Just a little, you know, just name dropping a little bit. Hey, man, you got to do it where you can. <laughs> uh, but what's the next movie, Jonathan? Yeah, so next up is Remember the Titans from 2000, directed by Boaz Yakin and based on a true story of mine and Alex's uh, high school. Oh, sorry, we were different Titans, weren't we? <laughs> Very different Titans. (laughs) Okay. Fun fact, though, our high school mascot actually was Titans. But no, this is based on a true story. We'll get into all that stuff later on. Um, And then what are we wrapping up with, Alex? And finally, we're going to talk about Invictus from 2009, uh, which has a much larger scale to its story. Um, It's directed by Clint Eastwood, which is interesting, but it is directed by Clint Eastwood. Uh, we actually talked about doing a Clint Eastwood director episode one time, but that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of all over the place when it comes to directing. Yeah. Like he's, he covers a lot again, of real a bunch of different uh, true stories, though. Yeah. He's very fond of those. Um, he's definitely become like your one of your dad's favorite directors, if you know what I mean. Is that like, like my dad or just people's like dads the, in general? The, the monolithic idea of your <laughs> suburban American dad. OK. Yeah. Um, I gotcha. And. So this is based on the book called Playing the Enemy, Nelson Mandela and the Game That Made a Nation, written by John Carlin. And it is based on an actual true story, um, which we will see how they try to adapt that uh, fictional or that nonfiction book into um, a dramatic story and, you know, how that played out. Uh, and of course, this was nominated for Best Leading Actor for Morgan Freeman and Best Supporting Actor for Matt Damon, both actors who we had on the show last week. Yeah, in in very different roles. Although I will say, like, at the very beginning of Invictus, when we first meet Matt Damon's character, his mom says something like, because uh, he lives with his parents and his girlfriend or something like that. I didn't understand, but we'll get to that. Uh, but his mom was like, you got to be careful out there. There's a nasty flu going around. And I was just like, all right. Extended universe. Here we go. Yeah, it felt very uh, like on the nose, but unintentionally. Yeah, at the it, same it's time, it's only on the nose now. Like it wasn't three months ago. Yes, uh, accidental coincidences, um, which is a redundancy, but is uh, appropriate for this situation. Yeah. Uh, anyway, without further ado, let's jump into the meat of today's episode, 
And Jason, take it away with what Field of Dreams is about, if you can. Field of Dreams from 1989. Ray Kinsella is a farmer in Iowa with his wife and children who's never gotten over his strained relationship with his late father, who used to be a ball player in the 1920s. One day, he begins to hear voices telling him, if you build it, he will come, and then a vision of a baseball diamond built in his cornfield. So he builds the field. It summons a spirit of shoeless Joe Jackson and the rest of the Black Sox players swept up from the 1919 World Series fixing scandal. Jackson and his fellow players enjoy playing the game once more and thank Ray for building the field. The voices and visions continue, though, sending Ray to find author Terrence Mann and other former baseball players. It's a journey rooted in faith and nostalgia, but with the family farm and livelihood on the line, Ray races to find an uncertain resolution before he loses everything. So, Alex, this movie is not what I expected at all. Um, And I kind of, like, I don't want to say, like, I struggled with that through the whole movie, but I was going into it as a sports movie, and it's almost not a sports movie. Yeah, it just uses sports kind of like as an a very, very upfront allegory for everything yeah. else that's going on in the movie, um, which is really a story about a father and the son, but buried way, way, way deep, which by the time you get to the end is actually like kind of a satisfying reveal. Mm-hmm. But if all you've done for the first 25 years of your life is hear that this is the, the line, build it and he will come or build it and they will come then you think this entire movie is just about building a baseball field and like the struggle this guy has to build a baseball field, yeah. which sounds like a plausible idea for a movie. And then they wrap that up in like the first 10 minutes of the movie. And then, so let me just kind of like go through some general things I was thinking as, as we were going through, it was like, okay, so fine. We have this, this little, uh, twilight zone twist where the, the really good baseball player, uh, ends up coming back to this vision field. First of all, the first 20 minutes of this film are almost a straight horror movie um, where Kevin Costner is having these uh, visions and he's hearing, build it and he will come. And, like It is not an inspiring line like I thought it was just because of how it's been used it's after creepy. the movie. It's, but it's real creepy. It is really unnerving at the beginning. Yeah, this movie gives me like Twilight Zone vibes right off the bat. Yeah, I can definitely, I definitely understand where you're coming from. Um, yeah. And, and like it has, it has, it has, it kind of has like semi hard rules to the scenario, but they never go into like the mechanics of how the rules actually work. Yeah, they just work and the characters kind of start to buy into them after being weirded out. And that's one of the things that I think we kind of need to get into is like where the, uh, like just that, that building of this fantasy and the ways that, that you have to suspend your disbelief and the ways that the movie makes it okay or not okay for you to suspend your disbelief because, you know, on its face, it's set in the real world. There are just really specific uh, things that are completely out there. And also people's reactions to things are completely insane. Like Kevin Costner just up and, you know, blowing his whole life's work to build this baseball field and then yeah, he kind of dead people showing up on the baseball field incredibly irresponsibly throughout and his the wife of this is movie. cool with it for a long time um even at the end when like they're losing their farm he he's like uh 
and he's still not going to do it. He's still going to just like, yeah, she's she's blaming her like brother. I think the one thing <laughs> who's offering to bail them out. Yeah, I think the yeah, he's built up as the bad guy, but he's the only like sensible person technically. Yeah, um, I think we might have seen this when we were too old, Jonathan. We're too cynical. I now. know. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I I get it because I I've heard this movie like you've got to see this movie. You've got to, uh, you know, sit down like people have told me that they watch this with their dad every year. And it's it's a, a nice bonding moment. So I knew that there was this this whole family thing built into it. But I was thinking of it as a sports movie and I kept just waiting for things that were never going to happen. Um, I think we get one actual game where all the pro players play together. And that's still kind of loose because they were just kind of messing around. Um, And then the rest of it, it's the movie is about the way that baseball brings people together, which is what we're going to see in all three of these movies. It's just that this one is the loosest adaptation of that phrase in that the actual physical act of playing the game or watching the game is not what brings people together. It's the idea of the game in this really weird kind of mushy sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much used as like an allegory, like as something that everyone can relate to Mm -hmm. um, and something that can use in this like twilight zone ish area of something that can transcend time and space um, and connect you to people who are long gone or people who you didn't get to know as well as you'd have liked to have known. Um, Or even, you know, um, not Lawrence Fishburne, because I kept thinking it was Lawrence Fishburne. James Earl Jones, yeah. It's James Earl Jones. Um, I I don't know why. I like kept teleporting this movie like 20 years ahead in the future. From where it was. Um, but yes, James Earl Jones, the uh, disgruntled 60s uh, writer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, actually, this whole movie is just based around it, the plot structure. Is it one of like left turns, which is like, what's the craziest thing we could do right now? Let's go there and then somehow support it and make it make sense. Yeah, it's like and give give Kevin Costner a vision. It, it's basically Kevin Costner going on a goose goose hunt the whole time. And so he's like, OK, I got to go meet this writer. Oh, that's not what I'm supposed to do. I've got to go with this writer to this other thing. And then it just he keeps bouncing around to these things that seem like they're completely unconnected. And then they end up coming together at the end. Um, but and so it, it almost starts to turn into like a road movie or an odyssey of of sorts, uh, which, again, is just a totally different style. Um But one thing that I think is really interesting about this is that as far as this being a team movie, and I think that the way that it fits, like, again, the through line for this episode is going to be sports bringing people together. Um, But I think it's interesting that when I think back on the baseball movies that I've seen, which granted is not a ton, they seem to be really... um, focused on individual people and family and more of like a person's interchange rather than bringing a team together to work together to accomplish a goal, which we're going to see in the next two movies a lot more. This one is about, you know, Kevin Costner coming to grips with uh, his dad who, who did what he had to do for his family, but also wasn't there for his family as much as uh, he 
he would have otherwise have been. Um, and so that's, it's, it's a way for Kevin Costner to come to grips with the death of his father. And so it's bringing them together in that way, but it's not yeah, in the way that you think of in it in a team sense. No. Yeah, it is. Um, it's very much used like, so baseball is a unique sport among the team sports in that it is so individual. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very rare that you run coordinated plays. Every person uh, has one thing to do. Yeah. All actions are very much like, Oh, he made a play. This one person made a play. This one person's pitching. This one person's hitting the ball. Um, and it happens in a series of individual events, um, all on the same field together, but it kind of allows allows for a little more individuality within the team setting, which is interesting because that's a twist on how uh, team sports are used in the film. Yeah. And we're kind of starting there. Um, but it is a nice way to kind of show that even within the team, there could be individuality, uh, which is nice because that shows the differences within the team that are being connected mm-hmm. over the course of the um of the movie. And if you think about it, the standard quest format, uh, you know, save the cat format of movie telling often involves gathering allies. That's one of the mm-hmm. key points. And that Do happens a quick in rundown most movies. Of, of, of just the save the cat, just as a refresher. Save the cat is, um, it, one of the older, uh, is, is kind of like an up slightly updated plot structure used for movies. That's very popular because it sells very well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes um, and derided it's the audience because it's is, so popular. It's almost, it almost becomes uh, formulaic. Yeah, it can become easily formulaic, <clears throat> Pixar. Um, <laughs> but it is it is good and it's really, really, really recognizable. The older form of it is known as the hero's journey, um, which is typically framed around the quest, which is think about the plot of Lord of the Rings. Or Star Wars, um, yeah. Or Star Wars, yeah. Hero uh, is on a farm or the Shire out in the middle of nowhere. He dreams of adventure. Um, Yeah. Adventure comes knocking. They initially say no. Adventure comes knocking again, this time with some kind of something dramatic. They say yes. Um, They're thrown into this new world. Um, Along the way, they find a mentor. They find an enemy. They find uh, allies along the way. Um, Then they, they, there's like a peak in a valley to how they succeed and then they fail and then they get to their lowest point and then they dramatically storm the castle. And then there's, if you're really good, there's a one or two high tower surprises in there at the end mm-hmm. uh, where you think you've won, but <gasps> there's something even harder that you haven't expected. And then you bring in something that you heard of at the very beginning of the story to cinch it up at the end yeah. uh, and show the hero's growth and change, how they perceive this thing in a different way now at the very last bit of the movie. Um, which is very much what happens here. But uh, to, to my point, um, gath- the gathering of the allies is something that is really well represented in team sports movies. And in this case, um, he doesn't form a baseball team, but he forms like a baseball fan club of his family yeah. and some of and some of his uh, some of his friends some and eventually even kidnappies. his brother-in-law. Yes, yeah, so his kidnapped author. Um, they they all kind of come together on this essentially prophetic journey um, in this land that is way crazier than I thought it would be, which is actually kind of satisfying the more I think about it. It threw me way back on my heels at first, but 
it ended up being a lot more exploration of like this idea of faith and following what you're connected with and following your gut. Um, even though at times like it didn't make much sense, Mm -hmm. it still kind of got there in the end and they did plant, they did plant the connection to the father at the very beginning of the movie. Oh yeah. There's like a five minute monologue about, about his dad and that it's so easy to think that that is not what this movie is about for most of it until you finally get there. Because uh, it's almost like the entire movie is a red herring. It's like it starts with the dad and ends with the dad, and then the rest of the movie is just trying to distract you from the dad. Yeah, they play a lot of Shuffle Cup, um, which is kind of, which in my mind, in in hindsight, works a little better because it's kind of what Kevin Costner is doing in his own mind. Um, he thinks this is about something else, but really it's about his dad the entire time. Yeah. Which is just a nice... Uh, a nice little touch there at the end, but it can be, it is, especially for the era in which it came out is a very odd movie. It's very unexpected. Yeah. I, I kept wondering what the, the in theater premiere experience must have been for watching this movie with just not, none of the, uh, you know, knowledge that this is a classic of the lines of that kind of th- of the the family elements. Just going into it blind, maybe having seen a trailer, that must have been a wild ride. Um, but I do want to talk about um the the element in the title because the title is Field of Dreams, which uh, is a change from the book's title Shoeless Joe, which I think is actually a really good change because there's so many so many themes of um, so much money. Yeah. <laughs> so many, so money themes of what is really important and what you leave behind. And it almost gets to the, to the point of saying that baseball isn't the most important thing, which is another thing that sports movies, some like kind of depending on the angle that they take, sometimes, uh, this will show up in other sports movies, but it, it gets to a lot of, you know, like the, uh, the doctor who, you know, was really good. He really wanted to play baseball, but then he found, uh, you know, kind of a higher calling, uh, and he was helping people and he did a lot of good for his community. Uh, but there was just like that one dream that he missed out on. And Kevin Costner is so like obsessed with fulfilling that one dream, uh, which yeah, like a little, of the, like definitely to a dangerous extent. Yeah. Which it did get a little like Okay, I don't know if you're if this ideal can get pushed this far, but it it's it's kind of nice in a sense that like Kevin Costner is making other people's dreams come true in like the most cliche sense, but uh he's able to do that and then that eventually kind of allows his dream to be fulfilled, but throughout underpinning all of that is the idea that these other people have let their dream slip some for very good reasons like the doctor others not so much like the the novelist kind of goes the back and Black forth Sox too yeah the ones who cheated yeah right um so there's there's a lot of those things that kind of go beyond just you know kevin costner reuniting with his dad it's about you know where, where what do you put your focus on and you know if your dream is at the expense of something greater than is it worth fulfilling that one dream and and those kinds of ideas which are really interesting uh we need to have 
like a symposium. Like somebody needs to have like a thorough class out there for all future film students on how to name their characters. Um, because too often lately on the show, have we been calling <laughs> what guy characters by just the actor's name because we can't remember what their name is for the life of us. Yeah. But it's also hard when they're, uh, when they're really big name actors, but to make you happy, we'll call him Ray. Kevin Costner's character is named Ray, which is better oh, no, than no, Sam. I would, I would, <laughs> I, I would never know. I would never have been able to tell you that his name was Ray this entire movie. I, Terrence, Terrence uh, Mann is actually a really interesting name. I will say, I thought that was, uh, just kind of yeah no he had a it's great unique he yeah. had a great name yeah um let's also talk about kevin costner uh have you seen a lot of kevin costner movies jonathan i have not seen many other than this one yeah so i've seen i've seen a number especially because i got curious at one point um i even did some some digging and found out that kevin costner essentially does it <laughs> he kind of agrees in uh, in the, with the sentiment that he doesn't fully understand why he became such a famous actor. Um, he's kind of I feel like that he's can kind be of said of this, several different big names. This is true. This is true. Uh, and he's kind of always struck me as a little blase at times in movies. Um, kind of like very much a blank uh, a blank slate. You know, he's kind of just mm-hmm. staring at things. Less so in this movie. This movie actually has one of his favorite, one of my favorite performances from him. But in The Untouchables and in Dances with Wolves, um, very dry. Yeah, but he's he's really good natured about this idea that he doesn't entirely know why he's famous. Um, but he is. He also has like a really good reputation in Hollywood for just being an absolute delight to work with and a really good guy. Um, and I think that's probably why he's had the success he's had, Mm -hmm. especially in movies kind of like this, which are about something that I think the, you know, we already mentioned it on the pod in a different context, but the monolithic uh, suburban American dad can relate to in a way like, you know, having a rough connection to their father terms, the everyman kind of, yes, he is a very good everyman. Um, Took me a minute to learn to appreciate him like that. And I think this movie helped a lot. I kind of had a how to stop worrying and love Kevin Costner moment. <laughs> That's good. When preparing for this episode. Um, but I am quite the fan now. Yeah, I will say he almost has to be that for this movie because some of the things that he does in this movie would just make him unlikable. Like specifically the parts with um, James Earl Jones when he's convincing him to go across the country with him to this cornfield that he built in his backyard because of a vision uh, you know, yeah, like the persistence hey, that he has man. with James Earl Jones is untenable. You know, like there's no way that James Earl Jones would not have. I mean, he he was very uh put out by it, but it like I there was there's no chance that he would have gotten through to him. You know, if that was a real real situation. Oh no 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 no! This is movie land, a hundred percent. None of the like there there. Are, this movie actually asks quite a bit from its audience in terms of like extending how much they're willing to believe. Yeah. And they're hoping that you'll be so intrigued by whatever else is going on in the movie. Like, like the voice, the which is never explained, voice, never explained. Um, the, the, the quest, this field, um, obviously the old timey baseball players are kind of a crowd pleaser. 
Yeah, uh, right. So every time we see them on screen, that's kind of like the movie buying a little more credit from the audience to go a little further on this this kick they're going on. Um, but this is definitely a movie that takes that risk with its audience. It's like, are they okay? We're going to try to keep them around. We're pretty sure we can keep them around, but we're not 100 percent sure. Uh, in a way we that, have to do it in order to make this crazy narrative work. Yeah, in a way that a lot of modern movies don't. I couldn't think of another movie lately that has done something this ballsy and pulled it off. Uh, you know what I mean? Like just the the amount of craziness that's going into it for a this is the other thing for a heartfelt and genuine ending. This is not like something that's coming out of the woodworks to to shock and awe. Uh, which I think you can yeah, do with some like of these supernatural film. elements. Like it almost goes there at the beginning, but that's just because that's what we have seen so much since this. But there's there's not a way that there's a movie though that came out uh, in the early two thousands called Frequency with Dennis Quaid and Jim Caviezel. Have you seen that one, Alex? I've not. Uh, it's ringing bells, but I don't. Well, Jonathan, I'm not quite on the frequency to remember <laughs> what it's about. Okay, so it's. It's the closest thing that I could think to of this, but it's still probably, you know, 20 years old. Uh, it's about a uh, uh, a police officer whose dad was a, a firefighter and his dad died in a fire. And as the kid grows up and, uh, you know, becomes a police officer and all this stuff, he finds this old radio that his dad had. And then they're somewhere up north. And so one night, like the Aurora Borealis is showing and he picks up his dad on the frequency scanner. Uh, and then they're able to talk to each other back and forth. And he ends up like saving his dad's life. And it's like a way for them to connect and, you know, change the past that. So it it's similar in these like supernatural elements that bring the family together. But there's not a lot of movies that do this kind of a thing uh, in yeah. a lighthearted it's, way. It's is. You know what it reminds me a lot of? Uh, Frank Capra. Yeah. Yeah. Kind it's of a like a li- just a little bit of supernatural, like some soft supernatural elements, uh, just some stuff that's enough to motivate what's going on and keep you interested. Um, but really, it's all about the characters and having like this feel good story um, that's deep and meaningful and very, 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 very personal. Yeah. this and, and that's I think that's an important element of this, too. This plot does not work if it's not as personal as it is your dad. Yeah. Um, it couldn't have been like a coach or a full team remembering their coach. Exactly. It had to have been really, really, really close to home in order to motivate the relatively extreme actions taken by our um, protagonist. For sure. Uh, all right. So last thing before we move off of Field of Dreams, Alex, um, were all those people at the end like supernaturally coerced to just like bombard Kevin Costner's house? Like, were they were they kidnapped by oh, the gosh. voice? Yeah, or no, what? Okay, <laughs> I almost forgot about the ending, but it is it's actually one of my least favorite parts. Not to mention, first uh, of all, the last hour of the film I think plays out in real time. From the moment they get back, and the brother in law is trying to take the farm through uh, the girl's Deus Ex Machina through playing catch the sun is going down through that whole thing i think the last hour is literally just real time i believe that i 100 percent believe that that actually makes a lot of sense um but yeah I don't, i'm not a big fan of the ending of this of this movie in the in the terms of the oh your farm will be fine because somebody's going to come save it 
Um, because the voice is going to save it. The voice is going to save it, which might be an angel or God, or I, I don't know. The uh, film does not try at all to explain it. It does not. It just goes with it. Doesn't it doesn't even ask the question. Uh, nope. But yeah, it is, it is very much a deus ex machina. And I think what irritates me about it is that it removes... I know this is supposed to be a feel-good movie, but it removes all of the consequence of just hurtling towards this unknown mystery for no good reason. Like, if if it had ended with, oh, you lose the farm, but you followed the voice so you get to meet your dad and resolve that, and yeah. it'll be hard, but your your family will figure out something together in the future, I would, I would buy that a little more. It's almost like the ending was a little too soft for me. Yeah. But that might be my uh, 2020 doom and gloom <laughs> viewpoint compared to uh, the 1990s or 1980s. 89. Basically on the line. Yeah. Um, more optimistic outlook. It's really interesting just how it how it all wraps up. It just, you know, doubles down on the whole voice thing. I think like even one element of if they had been coming up with a plan B, you know, like, OK, if we lose the farm, then we'll do this. We'll still be able to provide for our family. It won't be, you know, what we've been doing or it'll be difficult. You know, that would make more sense to me. But he has no plan B. It's just build this baseball field at the expense of everything. Yeah. He also doesn't seem that interested in being a farmer. Not at all. That out there. I have no idea why he's a farmer. It seems like such a random choice yeah. at the top of this movie. I get, so on a thematic standpoint, I get why they did it. Like, it's the heartland of America. Um, baseball is an American sport. You know, it's all this Americana just being thrown at you. Um, and in that sense, it makes sense. Um, yeah, it's more of an aesthetic but than a logical choice. It does. Yeah. It, like, what did he do before him? What, what did he change? Well, they kind to of explain like, yeah, he met his wife and they got married and then they moved to Iowa and started a corn farm. Like that was about all the explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody starts a corn farm in the 80s unless you're from the family of farmers. Yeah. Like that, but that's it did, a pretty like, zany plot in and of itself. It started with like talking about the dad and his dad went through the Great Depression and that kind of, and I feel like, you know, Great Depression and Dust Bowl, like kind of just makes you feel like farmland. So it all kind of fit with a feel. But when you think about it, it's like, what, really? And I'm sure there are like, you know, if there are corn farmers out there that listen to us and they're like, what are you talking about? Plenty of people still grow corn. Then I'm completely sorry. I apologize. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just a suburban kid. I don't I think people still grow corn. I just don't think it requires nearly as many hands as it used to just because of. Also, uh, like, how long does it take to build technology. a baseball field? Because it took, uh, like, it takes a couple one of weeks. Cut on I don't screen. know. <laughs> yeah, that was so fast. That was the, the that was the first moment my like feet got dropped out from under me during this movie. Yes, because you expect like, half yeah. the movie to be him building a baseball field, and then it's like, nope, baseball field is built. And I was like, all right, where where are we going now? And then there's like another ten or twenty minutes of like they haven't gotten to anybody showing up yet. It's just everybody making fun of Kevin Costner for building uh-huh. a baseball field. And then one dead but, guy shows up. Yeah. But then I'm so, sho- I'm so shocked by him building a baseball field that I actually sympathize with the people making fun of him for building a baseball field during the early part of this movie. I'm like, yeah, I get it. That was a dumb decision. Yeah. And I don't understand. But why the movie he did comes it. back from that somehow. So kudos. 
Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a strange alchemical mix, just like how <laughs> they originally made Kevin Costner. All right, I think we've spent enough time on Field of Dreams. Let's move on to our second film. Uh, Jason, set up Remember the Titans for us. Remember the Titans from year 2000. In 1971, T.C. Williams High School in Virginia has been forced to integrate, allowing black and white students to attend the same school. This includes integrating the high school football team, which under coach Bill Yost has attained prominence and success in their league and local community. Herman Boone has been hired to replace Yost in an effort by the school board to appease their new black community. Boone didn't know he was effectively taking another man's job, and Yost isn't pleased to be losing the job he loves, but he does agree to stay on as assistant coach to appease the players and parents. Tensions are high on the team, but as they overcome their difference through their bonds as teammates, they soon realize that convincing the community at large that integration has merit will take a whole lot of winning and a whole lot of heart. Alex, uh, we have not covered nearly enough Denzel Washington movies on this podcast. I can only think of nah. one. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, we did Much Ado About Nothing, where Denzel Washington was Keanu Reeves' brother. Oh my gosh, yeah. That's right. That was a long time ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Um, yes, so he he is a brilliant actor. Um I sorry, I'm just re- flashing back to to that movie. Um because it's I was, not the one I was you thinking first about think Remember of. the Titans. Yeah. And now it's the the other one. Anyway, yes, no, he is a brilliant actor. He's a force in this movie, which is great cuz um his character is in a hard position and he kind of needs a lot of heart to get through it and actually everybody needs a lot of heart and a lot of strength too a lot of strength they deal with some heavy heavy themes um in this movie and i think they actually come off like pretty well through it like sometimes uh you can you can be watching a movie that's dealing with these themes and it feels a little cringy or it feels like people come about too easily or they they lose their prejudices too fast that are like innately like grown but in this one, it feels like everybody struggles and like slowly but surely comes together through this this trial and effort. Um, which let's talk about the structure of this movie, like the plot structure, real quick. Yeah, um, because this we is were actually talking about it so much with Field of Dreams. This is kind of the epitomal team sports movie. Like the ways that the other two movies differed from this one were kind of the surprises to me because this is what I think of when I think of a sports movie come together let's beat the odds kind of a thing yeah unlikely unlikely team yeah uh they are they are a a recently um desegregated district um that is now allowing both uh white and black students to their school in the south so as you can imagine there is a lot of tension in this movie um Mostly racial tension. And then as we get into it, they develop some of those personal tensions to keep our interest. Which, which is, is really good that there's really, tensions really well done. between the black characters, there's tensions between the white characters, there's tensions, you know, across the races, there's, you know, tensions across sexuality. Like there's so many conflicts going on about people just having to learn to accept other people, uh, regardless of, you know, race and, and you know, any other kind of difference that it it really helps it from being a cliche. And I think that's kind of one of the things we need to just hammer home with this movie is there are so many ways that it could have been 
a really oh, glossy cliche racism is bad movie and it adds mm-hmm. so many layers that that elevate it out of that level yeah and it was it was hard for all of these characters to reach the point at the end of the movie yeah like it's not like they see one incident in, incident or one it lived through one anecdote and then come out a changed person they go through like a series of tough training camps and slowly build up and slowly make take steps towards becoming better uh a better better people individually and a more integrated unit except um, for louis who is team. perfect from the beginning <laughs> louis is just there to be i mean is he is he is he cajun he's not like he doesn't I speak don't cajun know. he's from louisiana yeah he's he's kind of the uh on the the poorer end of any of the students that are that are well, in he, the he thing. straight up calls himself white trash. Yeah, he calls. I'm trying not to use those, but he does say that in the movie. Um, and so he's, but he is the first one to, uh, and and he's also the first one who's like, you know, I I don't have a people like you know even the white people look down on me, and so he's the first one to go sit with the the black players uh, during the training camp, and and he really kind of kicks off the uh you know get to know the people that you wouldn't expect to uh yeah he kind of helps break down the barrier he takes those first yeah steps, yeah yeah first people getting to know each other um i love the plot structure around the coaches um mm-hmm. because neither one's really the aggressor they're both put on the back foot at the very start of the movie um the he Denzel Washington's character did not want to come in and just take some other dude's job because yeah. that's literally what had just happened to him. Um, and he hadn't been told all the details of what was going on until the school district had pulled him in. Uh, and then Coach Yost is just put in a terrible position. Um, you know, either move on to a different school and leave the kids he loves or um, suck it up and be an assistant coach after being a essentially flawless head coach for years and years and years. Yeah. Also, like we established like a perfect record. We established at the very beginning that he lost his wife, not to death, but she left him because he was so committed to this team, which is just another thing that elevates the stakes for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, everybody is so deeply personally motivated and they come together to make such a good unit. And the structure of the film too, like the first... 30, 40 minutes are uh, them coming together as a team starting to starting to. Yeah, the camp. by the end of training camp, you're pretty sure they're a team and then they get back into the real world. They're literally moving out of that ideal situation. Yeah. We're becoming closer, which we you were talking about them avoiding um, and into the tough realities of the real world where there's community pressure and there's older prejudices and there's ulterior motives and like organizations like the school board and the community board, like pulling strings uh, behind the scenes. Um, and it becomes much harder and they have to work even harder to not only come together, but to continue to win. Yeah. Um, I actually want winning is the only thing that gives them value to the community, which is kind at of the dark. Beginning. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and that's kind of what they have to work. Oh, at the end of. too, Jonathan, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that if they had lost that last game by the, at the end, even if, uh, even with all the winning, that the community support for the integrated team would have fallen apart. 
I don't know if it would have been like a like at at the drop of a hat, like it would have been within the first, you know, couple games, uh, where they were like, you know, if you lose your first game, then you're out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was still going to be tenuous at the end. Um, but I will say, I really want to hit that, that story transition from the camp back to the, to the city because, We've done they so much. A bucket of cold water on the yeah, characters. Yeah, we've done so much work. We've basically created an entire story arc just in training camp. You know, uh, that's that's almost its own movie. And then you come back, like they go to Gettysburg. They have all this thing, and like the team has done a complete transformation. And then they are put into the fire. Like now, it's time to see if those lessons are going to stick. And more than that. What it what ends up happening because it it has to is not only because it has stuck because training camp did such a good job of breaking down um, for the most part all of those uh, prejudices between the players and they have formed such a good bond that it actually does stand up when they go back to the community and then it has to start to spread through the community like we and we get to see the community fight it. And then adopt that same uh, acceptance that the players have, which is really the um, another thing that makes this movie so powerful. But it's so interesting that the movie puts us through it twice. You know, we we go through the exact same transformation on a really small and personal scale, and then we we're holding on to that uh, as we bring it to an even bigger. Uh, an even bigger arena, uh, like it's almost not even halfway through the movie. It's, it's always a nice character building technique to have a character who thinks they've changed. And then something happens to re that makes them realize that the change was either not deep enough or not as big as they thought or more superficial than they thought. And that they actually have a much longer path. Denzel Washington does that explicitly to coach Yost at some point. And now I realize I'm I'm mixing actors' names and uh, uh, characters' names, um, but uh, Denzel Washington has this. There's this moment where Coach Boone, who's such, he's such an interesting character because he he knows that he has some change to do. He's he starts off more accepting than most of the white characters, but he he knows that he still has some work to do just on himself, and he's very tolerant through the. Um, uh, the training camp and stuff like that. He tries to put out ideas, but Denzel Washington will like shut him down and be like, no, I'm the coach. You've got to take off your coaching hat. And then there's a moment where coach Yost like brings up a good point. And then Denzel Washington says, okay, are you saying that because the characters you're or the players you're talking about are black or because you actually believe that about all the characters. And that moment where Denzel Washington is like, yeah, I'm, I'm super hard on the kids, but I'm super hard on all the kids. And Yost realizes that there's even more subconscious work that he has to do is kind of that same thing where he thought he was changing, but he didn't realize that there were more levels that has, needed to be delved into. Even farther to go. Yeah. 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 That's the that's the really hard change and the most affecting change and often the most dangerous character shortcomings when they they're left unnoticed when you don't know how far you have to go, yeah. which is the, 
swerving very close to the real world, actually directly into it, because we I think we all do that. The hard, and that, the hard thing the is it has to be pointed out to you. Yeah, no, you can't see. It's it's a great parable because you can't see your worst flaws. Yeah, you never it's called do. a blind spot it's for never, a reason. <laughs> yeah, it's never it's never stuff that is glaringly bad. Like oh, you like to run down the street and punch babies. You probably know that about yourself if that's something you do. Right. Periodically, it's going to take more than a pep talk. Yeah, <laughs> that that's a different kind of movie. That's like a psycho movie. Um, but it, it takes some outs, outside perspective to really understand yourself sometimes. And that's deeply telling and affecting. Um, and that's one of the powerful things about being in a community unit, being in a family unit. And that's one of the things that makes the team in Remember the Titans so effective mm-hmm. is that they are so attempting to be self-aware, but they also start to listen to each other over the course of the movie. Yeah. And they learn their shortcomings. Like at the very end of the movie, even though uh, Donald Faison's character, Turk from Scrubs, um, <laughs> is being like a stuck-up uh, snob about how he plays and a bit of a baby off the field, um, Ryan Gosling's character, who's currently subbing in for him, um, is like, hey, coach, if we want to win this game, I am not the person you want in there. It, you, you, want, you want that guy. Yeah. Um, he is much better than me and, you know, amidst his shortcoming and lets the other guy go in. And then the other guy apologizes after realizing how much of a butt he's been the entire time. Um, yeah, and I, no, and it is. It's a very effective family unit that they make over the course of the movie. Yeah. And that the idea of listening to each other is something that goes, um, you know, in all directions, because all the characters have to realize that they're flawed, like even Coach Boone. There's uh, a Washington's character, even though he, you know, for the most part is the one that, uh, you know, is is working to gain the acceptance of of the other players or, or characters prejudices. He still has to realize his own flaws. Like there are no flawless characters in this movie, except again, Louis. He's perfect. Um, but uh, Boone has to realize his pride and his his deep seated and just, uh, you know, justified notion that he has to prove himself in order to actually be worth anything in the eyes of the white community goes so far that it's actually detrimental to his team at some point. And he has to realize that about himself towards the end and turn that back. So even coach Boone, who is kind of the one who's causing a lot of the change in the other characters still has to change himself. Uh, which again, yeah, there's so many really good arc over the course. It's amazing of this movie. how many arcs there are in this kind of an ensemble film, and it doesn't feel cramped, and it doesn't feel like anything was left out. Uh, you know, like it, it could easily just be okay. We get tastes of all these different characters and their internal lives, but we don't really get a satisfying resolution on any of them. But the fact that they all come together and we see all their arcs at the same time, and they all come to the same place is just pulled off really well. And the, you know, the pacing and the flow of it still works even with so many different characters. Cause we focus on five or six of the different players relationships along with the two coaches, uh, both of the coaches, personal lives, um, and some of the other community, uh, characters and stuff like that. There's just so much going on in this movie and yet it all comes together. Yeah, no, it's quite impressive that it, it all just fits. Um, 
which typically we're complaining about how overstuffed movies are. But for some reason, it works. And yeah. I think the re- I think it might just be because everybody's so deeply connected through the team that yeah. even when you're every it doesn't matter who you're exploring, whoever's character you're exploring, you feel like you're contributing to this story of the team. Yeah. Um, so while we're on characters, let's talk about uh, Gary or Jerry. I literally think they say it two different ways during the movie. Um, but the uh, the white QB who is kind of the the big bully job i think he's like a i think he's like a linebacker i don't i honestly i have no idea what any of the positions do so uh, this one actually has like <laughs> the most gameplay out of any of these three movies yeah and i don't i'm not even 100 percent sure who plays what position in over the course of this film but the the one that you think of is like the the big uh tough jock character who really has to be broken down the, the all-american yeah the one who uses definitely start off not liking and by the end he's one of your favorite characters but this is what i want to talk about because it's interesting how early he actually starts to accept um the other black players you know he he has that moment with uh the the black player who's basically like his counterpart on the team um and they're yelling at each other at camp and he's like you know you need to play for the team uh and and that kind of thing. And then the other guy's like, we're, we're not a team. We're not, we're not working together yet, but there's not a whole lot of him, you know, like being racist towards the other characters, even at the beginning, like he has these, these, these hesitations about going to the camp and getting on the bus with the players and all that kind of thing, which getting on the bus scene in itself is, is really well uh, shot and edited. Um, but, yeah, he actually makes that change fairly early on. And then his mom, you know, ends up being a lot more prejudiced than him and his girlfriend. And he has to deal with that. But we don't see a lot like we just see that one kind of scene of him being hesitant to get on the bus. And so we instantly hate him. And then for the rest of the movie, he's actually like one of the most upstanding characters in the whole thing. Yeah, he becomes like one of the him him and his roommate essentially become like the moral backbone yeah. of the team like they're they're they become true leaders in their own right not just um not just the 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 team captains but true leaders of these of these kids as like a family unit and a team unit um which is quite impressive you can tell like these characters after what they've gone through go on to become good community leaders except for Gary cuz he de- he's dead Yeah. Well, yeah. And I will say that that element of them being such uh, role models throughout the film is what makes, you know, as we'll call it, the uh, the high tower surprise right before the climax. So devastating, Uh, which I don't want to have to get into specifics, but it's it's so heartbreaking uh, just because we've built him up so much. Yeah. It's it's it it was it was a challenge. Um, it, I think that was kind of one. It was based on real events, mm-hmm. um, and two, it was kind of a nice surprise to the audience and a good test to the team, to everybody else who hadn't fully stepped up yet to be like, "Hey, one of your leaders just got knocked out. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to come together in this moment of challenge, or are you going to fall apart?" Yeah, um, it's a good test of the metal. Um, okay, so before we move off, let's talk a little bit about some of the technical 
aspects of the film because again this is probably the most traditional of the sports movies and so we've got to talk about montage there was no montages in field of dreams to speak of uh but we've got the sports montages here we've got montages of training at camp we've got montages of uh um we actually have a really nice montage of the team playing through the season mixed in with uh political footage of riots and and that and racial tensions throughout the country which is a really nice touch um so we've got all these different montages which are kind of and I kind of like was using this as as a uh as a phrase before I realized that like it actually kind of only applies to this movie but montages in a lot of ways are kind of the building block of sports movies because sports movies are not only building up the characters, but they're also like watching characters build themselves up physically. And so, Mm -hmm. but that process takes way longer to show than we can fit into two hours. So there's a lot of times when you have to compress time. And later on in the series, we're going to talk about Rocky, which is the most famous instance of montage, but it's, this technique that, I mean, everyone knows, we don't have to really explain what a montage is, but it's something that shows up in these sports movies so often because there's so many times that we have to just kind of get from point A to point B on a physical level so that we can show the next point on the emotional level. Yeah, you have to show the repeated experiences that can forge these characters and forge their bonds without feeling tedious. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not a problem. It's actually quite effective as long as you drop out when you know you need to, to show the key moments of them growing as people, mm-hmm. um, which is what it, it, which happens really well in Remember the Titans. They know exactly when to drop out of montage. Um, and doing things like adding political footage, like keeps it from falling into cliches because it's so prevalent at this point. As we kind of wrap this up, I do want to talk about the the ending. Like this is... All, all these movies are, you know, quote unquote, feel good movies. And that's what sports movies generally are. I can't think of a lot of psychological thriller sports movies. But um, I do want to talk about like the, just watching this, uh, this community transformation. It feels very idyllic by the time you get to the end and like how together the community has come and you know, Denzel Washington is parading his daughter on his shoulders while his white neighbors are clapping in the streets and that kind of thing. Um, and yet it doesn't bother me how idyllic it feels because I think what it does is it creates a desirable image. It creates something that looks really good and it makes you and you've built up so much emotion that it's like, yes, this is how things should be. And then I think that those emotions have a chance to be internalized because there's an example in front of you. And then ideally that will transition into real life events so that the next time a community has to overcome something like this, they have an example of what it's supposed to look like and it will be closer to the ideal, you know? And so like, Obviously, it's a feel-good movie, so it's supposed to make you feel good. Uh, and I'm sure that in real life, either it wasn't that dramatic or it was way more dramatic than that, as far or like in terms of 
you know, the whole community wasn't really for them. There's still people with a lot of prejudice and, and hate towards them. Uh, from the interviews I've seen, it sounds like there, it was essentially much less dramatic. Okay. Um, it was played up a lot, uh, for the sake of, for the sake of the drama, um, which is just a requisite divergence from reality to, in order to make a good movie. Yeah. But I still think that showing it so, uh, like such a great experience is still has a lot of value to it. Like that's not something that you really have to stick to reality for because one of the points of these movies is to create is to show a reality as it should be not as it is which i know is kind of the opposite of of reality but that is a way to change reality in the future yes yes it is um yeah and i think one of the reasons it does come off so well in addition to what you said jonathan is the fact that the characters have to work so hard to earn it. Yeah. Um, it was a fight. Oftentimes the reasons, the reason something like that can come off as too idyllic is because it feels like no, not as much effort was put into getting there. Um, but when you have that effort put there, it doesn't feel as idyllic. It feels like, yes, this is what we've been working towards the entire movie. Um, the characters have earned this. We as an audience too have earned this. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I think that's about it for Remember the Titans. Shall we move on to Invictus, Alex? We shall. All right, Jason, take it away. Invictus from 2009. In 1990, Nelson Mandela is released from prison, and four years later, he is elected the first black president of South Africa. His administration faces many challenges in the post-apartheid, which includes bitter white citizens and remnants of the previous regime. One of those remnants is the national rugby team, the Springboks, which is currently an especially hot point of contention. Those of white African or descent root for the Springboks, an almost all-white team, and those of African descent root for England or any team other than the Springboks. Most of the newly elected government would love to be rid of the team and start fresh, but Mandela sees in them a chance to unify the country, all ethnicities supporting one team and sharing in their highs and lows. To this end, he reaches out to the team captain, Francois Pienaar, and encourages him to win the World Cup. He also sets up an outreach program for the team to visit sports centers in black communities. One does not simply win the World Cup, though, and with the majority of the country ready to be done with the team, it will take a mountain of effort from Mandela and the Springboks to unite the country around the game. The, the first thing I'll say is uh, I, I do not have an ear... For uh, South African accents, I they kept going like to me they were going between like French and kind of a Spanish thing. I don't know the history of South Africa, which actually kind of hurt me want, a little do you bit want a in quick this history movie. Of South Africa, yeah. Let's let's get like a little apartheid history, some okay uh, colonization so South, history. <laughs> South Africa is uh, a little unique among. Uh, some of the lands formerly owned by Britain, which is most of the world, um, in that it was settled by a different European power before Britain settled it. And that European power was the Dutch, uh, which you will hear them mention the Afrikaners, or the Afrikaans in here. That is a uh, a Dutch-based language that's essentially like a slangalized Dutch that is spoken by the Dutch descendants 
of the original Dutch colonizers there. Uh, if you've ever heard of the Boer Wars, um, the Boers are uh, some of the Dutch settlers that were there and did not want to be ruled by the British when the British came and took South Africa from the Dutch. Um, so you have this interesting mix of an English influence, Dutch influence, and of course, the often overlooked and often conquered native populations. Um, in South Africa, that ended up in essentially an apartheid government, which was literally two different governments, um, one subjugated to the other, uh, one being the uh, European or white descendant government, and the other being the, uh, the native or the black government. If it shouldn't take much to guess who was originally uh, the one dominating. Um, Nelson Mandela yeah. uh, was a student. Played in, in this movie the, by Matt Damon. Oh, I'm sorry. No, by uh, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> it's okay. Everyone gets him confused. Nelson Mandela was a political activist and a lawyer in the early uh, 20th century who eventually was locked in prison for his activities um, by the apartheid government for like a ridiculously long time, like 25 to 30 years, um, which is where Invictus really comes from, uh, the the influence of the poem. Um yeah. And he, he eventually was released in the early 90s. And in 1994, um, he was elected the first uh, African president of South Africa, um, which is kind of like the, the political struggle that you're seeing in this movie. Which uh, really kind is, of takes the, the front stage in this whole thing. It, it, it takes the front stage. It's not very tense, but it, it's there. Yeah. And I do want to get into <laughs> this whole. I'm just going to say, it, Jonathan, this whole movie is a montage. The movie is a montage. It's it's the such a big a scope. I, we've kind of like gone from really nitty gritty family to team to national. So we've really brought in the scope with each movie yeah. on this list. It it kind of like softly glides through a series of events, mm-hmm. um, and it zooms in occasionally for tension and perspective. Um, but the times it chooses to zoom in on don't often make a lot of sense to me. Like they, we spend a lot of time with the bodyguards, which like which never pays off. To, oh, it never pays off. Like if if there was going to be somebody trying to kill Nelson Mandela, sure, yeah, great. Or if the if the both the white and the black guards were being really belligerent towards each other the entire time, okay, sure, you could do something with that even with the false flag assassination attempt that wasn't really an assassination attempt at the very end, which was stupid. They did, they did that dumb. twice. They did it at the very beginning with the newspaper <laughs> they man. Did. They did it with the airplane. And I was, cause I was watching for this every single time there's a game. The president is going to be exposed. We have to be on our toes. And so I'm watching for an assassination attempt. The little kid who was like picking up bottles in the parking lot. I thought he was like, I don't know, going to bomb the stadium or something. There was like some random shot of a guy going into the stadium at the very end when it was empty. The guy, a guy that we'd never seen before. And so I was like, is this guy like scoping out for a good place to be a sniper? I was ready for an assassination and it just never happened. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of false flagging in the movie when it comes to that plot. And it didn't feel deserved because it, it, it takes up so much time of the movie. And you know what? We get it. Pretty okay story for Nelson Mandela's character. Mm -hmm. We get almost none of Matt Damon's character. That's the thing. This is a two hander. He's so so soft. Yeah, he does like nothing. And he's 
it's not that he's playing the character badly. It's just it feels like there's a bunch of scenes missing explaining who he is and what his motivation is. He has that really nice taste that of has, defeat moment. Yeah, he, he has he has a racist dad um, who loses his racism real fast mm-hmm. over the course of the movie um, in a kind of unexplained way. Yeah, honestly, because the movie is not a bad movie. It's just that all those things we were talking it's about a, that go it's into a light movie. Yeah, it's all those things that we we talked about that go into making Remember the Titans more than a racism is bad movie are kind of missing from this one. So it's like, yeah, this is, a this is like a is smile and movie. nod movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like everyone's always smiling and nodding. Like, yeah, that's great. That's good. And it doesn't feel like you you aren't did anything to end up there other than, of course, everyone ended up there because racism is bad. Yeah, right. which is true. But if you're going to spend a movie trying to teach the audience that you might as well teach the audience that. So here's uh, where. Yeah. And a lot of the the draw from this movie is, uh, again, we're we're bringing people together. Right. But in this movie, we have to use the team to bring the country together, which honestly is a huge burden to put on the team this team that's really not that good we established this from the very it's beginning such they shitty, suck it, it's such an interesting <laughs> interesting aspect i like i like how bold it is though it's like we have a team it's awful yeah and and yet it has to be the symbol for the nation and in that respect no pressure the team is the most interesting part of the movie and yet because nelson mandela is such a huge figure from a, you know, just a world consequence level. It, it, I don't know if this is the way that the book was written um, or if this is a way that they chose to make the film because they got Morgan Freeman involved. It's like, all right, we got to put the, the focus on Morgan Freeman. But I kind of wish that it was about Matt Damon pulling his team together to uh, represent the country because if they don't, then all these things that, uh, you know, the country has riding on them, all the things that Morgan Freeman has riding on them will just kind of fall apart. Uh, which goes into like one thing that's really interesting in, in terms of like the montage elements and the way that the team is built up. There is almost no training montages in this film. The only way that the team gets better is through these, uh, these inspirational exercises like like team building exercises that, you know, you feel like would would come off of uh, some blog post about how to have the best team or whatever. So oh, like they're so they're so <laughs> smiley and naughty. It drives me nuts. They like, take a field trip no... to Nelson Mandela's prison cell and stuff. like. These are the only well, ways that the team gets better. Nelson Mandela's. Yeah, their girlfriend. Like that was like, it makes strange. It, yeah, that that part makes no, no sense to me. I, I like I just don't. I don't like that part. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And then it's when they go smiley and naughty, like there's no tension or dialogue in those scenes. Everyone's just like, oh, yeah, this is making us better people. And they do the PR stunt things. in that poor community. Uh, yeah, where they play yeah, ball yeah, with yeah. all the little kids. You know, there, there was something interesting in that scene when all of the kids glommed on to Chester, the one uh, black player on the spring. Bo- I almost spring missed box, this. Sub, which was like this sub oh, point. This yeah. is. This would be well. How how did you miss it, Jonathan? He was face was on a plane. I know, but that's the thing. By the time his face was on a plane, I still didn't know who he was. <laughs> and then he was like randomly injured off screen, mm-hmm. um, and then comes back. Uh, yeah, it's 
It is very movie light. And I mean light not in the sense of lightly toned. I mean light as in L-I-T-E, like yeah. a diet soda. Um, yeah, so it's it's really interesting to see like all these things that we've been talking about, how these other two movies you know, build up the emotion and they build up the uh, drama and they're just kind of missing here or at least they're not the focus. And I think that's the thing is like the film feels like oh, it's, I don't know what the focus is. Mis- the, the focus, focus is, is Nelson good. is Nelson Mandela. OK, has so the weight the of the thing. world on his shoulders and he's using so here's the this thing team with, like Nelson Mandela level characters. They are. First of all, you can't big, show flaws too in them. Good. You can't show their flaws, even if they have them. It makes him very difficult. Except and they, they for kind like of get the fact here. that his he he's, he has he's like a moment too devoted to his political his political yeah. activism. It's like and on so a his, resume his when you have to put what is your him. weakness and you have to turn your weakness into a strength. That's kind of the only flaws we see in Nelson Mandela is like weaknesses yeah. that are really strengths. Yeah, he's he, the problem with characters who are so good like he is like so widely considered good is there essentially uh, to borrow from the video game world, what you would call a God tier character. And in that sense, they kind of lack on screen interest for that reason. Like they are too good. They mm-hmm. are. It's, it's hard to tell stories about them because they are so good. Like what, what could really challenge ne- Nelson Mandela? What could make us convince us that Nelson De- Mandela needs to change? Like you couldn't, you couldn't convince us of that. Yeah. Everyone is you would you would think, oh, Nelson Mandela, he's amazing. Of course he is. He doesn't need to change. He's great. Um, and, even and so if you spending could, so much just, time with a movie with him is is ends up being a problem for the movie because we we lose any interest of personal change. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your earlier point, the only the biggest potential for seeing a personal arc of growth would have been Matt Damon's character and seeing him in his interactions with uh, with. Uh, Nelson Mandela's um, plans and his personality and seeing him force the team into these increasingly like challenging environments. But there's no sense of challenge to any of these. Like there's some, there's sometimes where like the team will stop and like complain in the gym. But uh, (laughs) Matt Damon's character essentially gives the movie equivalent of a shrug. Yeah. um, Like a really lazy pep talk a couple times. Yeah, the whole movie is played incredibly safe, and to an extent, That's the thing, I get yeah. why. Yeah, and, th- and yeah, because you can't you can't go too risky with something like Nelson Mandela and still have a politically and commercially viable film. You know. Yeah, this was very much meant to be a feel good movie. Um, it and it is very much a light movie in the L I G H T sense as well. Mm-hmm. For that reason, and it's, it's what made it sell well. Yeah, it's not it's not much of an introspective movie, even though it is dealing with race tensions like Remember the Titans. It doesn't handle them in a way that makes you, you know, consider where your own prejudices are and where where your prejudices are that you don't realize and that kind of thing. Like it's just showing it's it's almost more of like a, a synopsis of a history lesson on this one thing that happened in South Africa one time rather than something that challenges the audience or something that really inspires in more than like a uh, high school classroom postery kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And again, 
I get why that is. Um, it is disappointing because it feels like this is meant to be more inspiring than it is. Um, but it is. Yeah. Uh, and I will, I, I do want to point out like the way that they film the rugby stuff is all very, uh, spectator level. So we have in, remember the Titans, there is a lot of, we already established that field of dreams has very little like actual play time in it as far as like playing baseball. But in Remember the Titans, which is very heavily focused on the actual playing of the football games, uh, we're right in the action. We have a lot of uh, tight shots, close-ups on faces, like almost feels like the cameramen are in the game because we're connected to the players that are in there, feeling those impacts, you know, all that stuff. We're very connected to those characters on a personal level, whereas in this one, we are connected to Nelson Mandela, who is sitting, you know, at the top of the bleachers somewhere. So we get lots of wide shots. Occasionally we'll get in on the game. It actually really bothers me how the very last game where they win and it starts doing all this slow motion stuff with like the Foley turned up to a thousand. Um, yeah. But because because we haven't earned it, I don't feel like I know this team I barely even realized. I don't even know how the game works. What the deal with Chester was? Yeah, and that was that's the thing is that moment with the kids uh, in the dirt field. They started to explain the game to the kids, but then we just saw them like kick the ball. I think the only thing that I that I got from that scene was that you can only throw the ball sideways or backwards. I was like, okay, that's interesting. But uh, yeah, that was what like, uh, it was <laughs> like okay. about rugby. I still don't know how points are made. Um, and to be fair. They didn't explain a lot of that in the other games. They didn't explain the mechanics of the game. But I will say, um, with the other games... But it didn't feel like you needed to. Yeah, you have an American audience, and you have two, you know, generally all-American sports. Literally America's yeah. pastime. Um, and so you generally get it. You know, there's, there's some discussion of, like, the offense and the defense stuff in Remember the Titans... Uh, a little bit of strategy talk in that way. Yeah. Um, but Invictus think, is, it's not as common in the U.S., which is, it's still yeah, it a is, generally American It is an American audience. movie made about rugby, yeah. which most Americans know nothing about, um, which is an interesting choice. Um, and what's more, I think it's a little bit of us grasping for something to find interesting yeah. in the rugby game, because it's, it's not bad footage. It's just uncontextualized footage because I understand that the game and that they win is important, but I don't know what mechanics of this team other than them being labeled bad. Cause that's what I've mm-hmm. heard is making them bad. Like what are they overcoming? Like, give me some specifics. Give me some details. It doesn't, is it a player? It doesn't even have to get is it, nitty. Yeah. Is it, is it their teamwork? Is it the fact that they, don't utilize some of their players. You know, there there are other options out there um, than the the way they chose to win, way, way to go with it. But again, it kind of fits with the the idea that this whole movie feels a little glossed over yeah. and a little bit like it's just kind of feel-good studio product that was pumped out. And the other thing is, like, I don't, first of all, I don't feel like there's even a chance that they're not going to win the last game just based on, what kind of a movie it is. And in that kind of a case, like going in to remember the Titans, you know that they're going to win the last game. They're going to win the championship 
uh, because you know what kind of movie it is, but you feel like there are stakes outside of the game. There's like, will the community be changed because of the way that they win the game? And we kind of have those stakes in Invictus, but the, the actual like game itself, we don't see like, you know, even even if we're going to take the Nelson Mandela angle and okay, so Nelson Mandela is taking a big risk with making the the spring box, which it took me forever to realize that it wasn't like a, a box with a spring in it. Uh, but the no, <laughs> it's like a weird little deer. It's a little like antelope deal. Um, yeah, but the, the spring box are going to be this symbol for the country. The spring box are terrible. And so if that's going to be the thing, I think, maybe the way to to pull that off would be to show, give us a couple characters outside of the political realm who are watching the games and actually coming together because of the games. Because other, like we don't see any civilians who are not either in the game or uh, using the game as a political pawn. Um, yeah. And that so, would have been a good use for the bodyguards. And they kind of do that. They have like this thing where the bodyguards are fighting at the beginning and then I was like, oh, these guys are going to be best friends by the end of the movie, but they never oh, fight 100%. as much as the team did in Remember the Titans and then all of a sudden there was a scene where they were playing Nobody rugby on the lawn movie. and I was like, oh, they're already friends. I guess, I well, I guess that was that one arc I was waiting for. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it Everything feels unearned. Yeah. Like it just happens, so, which is, which is, why because there's no challenge it feels like everything just happens because everything just happens it's why it feels like just a tour of a historical event yeah with uh, that that scene thrown in where that pilot does something super illegal <laughs> right which again didn't feel earned because there was no real threat of assassination like if that yeah. was a red herring to the real assassination threat it would have played off way better but it it just felt really cheesy yeah oh 100 percent. it was rough all right i think we're we're grasping at straws with invictus so let's uh <laughs> let's kind of move notes? on to overall notes and talk about all three of these films in general and again we've been talking about how these we're using the venue of team sports sports played by multiple people teams teams as we call them uh which then either (laughs) either the experience of playing the game or the experience of watching the game or just this common appreciation is what brings people together whether that's overcoming uh prejudices whether that's you know finding a new political normal or whether that's uh you know kind of uh, resolving regrets in one one fashion or another uh, and I think that that's interesting because you can almost, you can think of pretty much any movie that deals with, uh, I mean, we're probably going to see this in other sports, but I think that when we get to things like individual sports, it's going to be a lot more of very personal, uh, growth and personal experience rather than a communal or a a coming together of people as the primary thing that the movie is about. Yeah, no, for sure. This is this is more about um communal challenges, communal growth, um coming together as a community. 
uh, all those all those C words, um, trying to overcome some differences. And I think the the real strength of it is that as humans, we instinctually tribalize, which is good and bad. And teams in the realm of team sports, we see that it has it can be really good mm-hmm. um, because what it does is it creates this idea that we are in this shared battle that we have this common cause we have, which is in often cases the sport or the team that we're supporting. Um, and through that, we learn that we have more in common than we have, than we have in, uh, in our differences, mm-hmm. which is really important. It sounds a little, uh, cliche because it is, because it's true. Uh, but sports movies, specifically team sports movies are very good at, uh, essentially, analogizing that fact into a packageable and watchable and entertaining and memorable story. Yeah, because the the sport itself, no matter what the sport is, uh, when it's people working together and winning something, accomplishing something, it's a microcosm of the this idea that when we do something together with a common purpose, we get a good outcome. We we get something that we all wanted at the beginning. And so whether or not we see the outcome of the people coming together in the broader sense, just knowing that the act of coming together is a furthering in itself uh, and makes all those other goals more achievable. You know, we see that in a little, little tiny sense in the sport. And then we get to kind of extrapolate that into a much larger sense uh, when we think of the the rest of the story and then our own real lives. Yeah, yeah, because team sports are just a good analogy for it. Yeah, but this kind of camaraderie can be found through almost anything. Yeah, um, this is just a specific arena of stories that is perfectly suited mm-hmm. um, to covering these topics. And again, that's one of the differences that we'll we'll probably see when we start looking at individual sports, which spoiler, that's gonna be that's not the next episode we're doing, but that'll be the next part of our sports series. Uh will be individual sports. And those will tend to focus on uh, you know, this kind of the limits of human ability and these things that people can do on their own and what makes people so special. Team sports are about what makes people special what what makes people uh what people can do when they come together you know rather than what individual people can do just on on a very specific level so uh but i mean there's a lot of stuff that we didn't even get to in this episode there's you know hockey movies we did a a, a netflix party miracle for miracle ice. yeah miracle on ice and uh that kind of goes into the a similar realm as Invictus, where it's kind of like a historical um, overview of this event, but it still gets that same place. It's coming together to achieve something uh, bigger than one person. Um, you know, I can't think of like a really specific soccer movie. Uh, I'm, I know there are some. Bend it like Beckham. All right, there you go. I watched a, a sports movie that Alex will never watch, um, but it was actually quite good, uh, called Lagan, which is a Bollywood film about cricket, which uh, I still don't understand how cricket works, uh, and they didn't really try to explain it in the movie. I think it's probably one of those things where, because that is 
that's an Indian movie made for an Indian audience. And so I think it's one of those things where most people in India probably know how cricket is played. So you don't have to explain it. Um, but that was that was really interesting because it was you know, like like four hours uh, and it had musical numbers in it. Um, and yet it was the least extreme of any Indian film I think I've ever watched because uh, we oh, we've, nice. we've talked about Indian films on the film before, on the podcast before. So you can go back and watch those uh, episodes. And usually they are like uh, <laughs> we call them like films in bold where they just turn up everything that they have as far as movie techniques. And this film did that somewhat, but it was much tamer. It was much more like uh, uh, like the filmmaking that we're used to. So if you want an introduction to, to Bollywood filmmaking, I would actually recommend that one. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's lots of other types of sports movies out there. Again, this is a very big overview, um, but I think that it's, it's three really good um, examples of different ways that we can show that we can use sports to show people coming together. Cause again, we have like the kind of distant from the sport aspect where it's, you know, people coming together around it. We have the, like in the sport, like people coming together because they're playing the sport. And then we have the one that's like kind of using that sport as a very broad, uh, symbol for things. So, you know, a lot of different aspects, uh, of of these types of movies yeah no there's a lot of ground to cover we barely just scratched the surface yeah um there you could talk about sports movies almost exclusively i believe there are podcasts sure there for that tons of those. although you should definitely listen to only ours and no other film podcasts stay away from them they're bad for you <laughs> um but yes there there is a lot to be said for sports movies i feel like they don't get the credit due to them very often as like a genre mm-hmm. um you know, some do like, you know, there's the Rockies of the world out there um, right. that get recognized or the Specifically raging Bulls. Rocky. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of boxing movies. Those are popular uh, for a large part of the early 20th century. And I think it's interesting, um, especially like because uh, I know I personally and you're I think you're along the same lines, but I don't spend any time watching sports. So I'm I'm not very invested in that world. And even though I don't necessarily kind of have a huge personal connection to this idea of sitting on the couch and, you know, watching the Super Bowl and rooting for a team and that kind of thing. Like you can still use those movies to, uh, to elicit emotion. Like I was very invested in, um, remember the Titans and the actual like act of playing the game. And then things like field of dreams. I don't really have to be a baseball fan to get what they're going for, because again, it's not really about, the baseball itself baseball can stand in for you know movies or anything that you connect with another person over that can bring you together uh and so that's i i think another good thing that that helps broaden the audience for these movies is that that aspect of coming together helps it not just be like you know if you're not into football there's no way you're going to find any enjoyment in this movie yeah yeah it should be it should be a way for people who aren't even like fans of the game to connect with uh, why people enjoy the game in the first place, because it can be, they, they should, the, the whole point of sports in these movies is that they transcend boundaries, even the boundary of sports fan and not a sports fan. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's been the case with 
certainly remember the Titans. I'm still on the fence about whether or not I fully consider Field of Dreams to be a sports movie. <laughs> no. Uh, it's kind of like a, a weird fantasy movie. It's, I don't even know if I call it sci-fi. No, uh, no, no. It's straight up fantasy. Yeah. And it, again, it that Twilight Zone sense is kind of the best way to compare it where there's a supernatural element and yet it's, it's not like making a supernatural statement. Yeah. No, it just is. Still, you look up list of baseball movies, Field of Dreams is on that list. So it it is a baseball movie and it is not a baseball movie. It's so it's such an interesting <laughs> where that, where that movie falls. It's fascinating. This is the problem with putting movies like, in boxes, which, you know, we do yeah. on a, on the regular, but it helps us understand them better, but at the same time it's never completely It has limitations, accurate. yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, all right, I think that'll wrap it up for our team sports episode. Uh, but next time we turned to our patrons to uh, to give us a topic. We gave them some silent film stars because we like to throw that in their face. Um, and they gave ha, us watch silent films. We will make you. Yeah, we will make you. So uh, they gave us. They're so, they're cheap. They're free. They're, they're you can watch everywhere. them double speed. I don't they know why anybody everywhere. doesn't like. And they're movies. so they're- creative and hilarious. But we're gonna get on that soapbox next week. But who is the specific silent film star that we are covering next time, Alex? Buster, Buster freaking Keaton, man. Buster freaking Keaton, whose career went, you know, way uh, into modern era, actually, uh, in surprising ways. But we're going to focus mostly on his uh, peak in the 20s. And uh, what are those films that are all exquisite? Everyone should be watching these before we talk about them next time. God, they're so good. They are master classes in comedy. I don't, whew, I mean, there there's comedy techniques used in any of your favorite sitcoms. If there's a joke in there. And just filmmaking on a technical level. There's some, there's some massive revelations in some of them yeah. too. I've, I've already done some of the rewatching as all of you patrons know. Um, there's some massive, massive cultural revelations that I was like, oh yeah, we do do that, don't we? Yeah. Um, but yes, we will save all of that for talk on the show itself. Um, but what are the not, movies? Not now. Oh, the movies? You we want gotta, to know the we got to tell the movies for the people to go watch no the movies. stinking movies. They need to go, just watch all of Buster Keaton's movies. And uh, we'll, yeah, they're all available. we'll pick three out of a hat next time. No. We, <laughs> no, we have Sherlock set. Jr. from 1924, uh, The General from 1926, and The Cameraman from 1928. All exquisite, all freely avail- free copies available on YouTube. Um if you don't feel like paying the uh, a bit extra for the restored versions, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, they are all hilarious. They all are short. I don't think any of them is longer than an hour and 10 minutes. Um, and you can play them all at double speed if you really, really, really want to cut down on time. I just throw that out there because I, I will do anything to get try, try to get people <laughs> to watch silent movies. I recommend that less than Alex, but if that's what you got to do, you got to do it. Um and yeah, so for our uh, donation plugs, we have a patron, a Patreon, and uh, if you're on the Patreon, you could be listening to us right now, not on Tuesday, but on Saturday when we record this. We have at least two, pa- I haven't checked lately, but we have at least two Thank patrons you. listening right now. Um, and uh, yeah, so go check out the Patreon. You can get access to our Discord channel and also our bonus podcast, which the last thing that we talked about was a short film called Cargo best zombie film i've ever seen and it's only seven minutes uh and just reminder and i'll remind everyone this next time too but we did uh, a buster keaton 
bonus podcast episode of One Week, his 20-minute short film uh, that it's Aaron... Been <laughs> one week since you looked at me. That's like, it's like a trigger word. Um, Aaron Johnson joined us for that conversation, so if you want to get a head start on the Buster Keaton talk, go subscribe on the Patreon. And go do it. That's all I got. Do it now. That's all right. Because that's all the time we have for this episode. If you have movie suggestions for us or just want to reach out, I can be found on Twitter at, at JS Satchel. And I'm at Alice Geringer. And I'm at the Blue J1994. And to find links to things that we talked about today, you can view them on the blog at thefilmlinks.com. If you like the show, let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes so other people will know what we're all about. We definitely appreciate it. Talk to you next time. All right, see ya. Jonathan, I just want to be very clear. Are you saying you do not root for any sports team? Uh, I think that's probably accurate. How about Are you how gonna... about the LSU Tigers? Man, you got to do that to me. I mean, I I personally <laughs> don't. But uh, yeah, that's that's the only team that I guess I would just out of necessity. <laughs> so so that you, you root for your inheritance? Yeah, right. Chicago Bears. Yeah, I know. I remember your room uh, growing up was very orange and blue. Yeah, yeah. No, I technically still do root for the Bears. I just don't spend a lot of time watching them Mm -hmm. because they're only on for a quarter of the year for starters. And two, they um, they take time away from movies. They're not very good at winning. Oh, well, there's that. (laughs) I wish they were better. (laughs) They're the Springboks. Yeah, no, no, you got it. It doesn't mean I'm not a fan. It just means that I am a realistic fan. Like, I'm still a fan, even even when they lose. Um, It's just that that happens a lot.